0: We're in 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. If you have a pew Bible this morning, it's page 996. You can turn there and follow along. We continue in the series, guarding the deposit that was entrusted to us. We're speaking this morning from 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teaching to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you... is the word of the Lord. Lord
1: willing, this morning we're going to finish the first part of a four-part series on guarding the deposit entrusted to us by looking at the four ways in which we guard that deposit, the first of which was guarding the truth. And we've been spending a number of weeks talking about that. And Lord willing, today we'll finish just so you know where we're headed from here Um, The next two weeks will be Thanksgiving. Um, Next Sunday is our Thanksgiving service, our Thanksgiving celebration. And we hope you'll all come back and we hope you'll bring your friends with you. We hope you'll invite people to come. Uh, We will not be speaking next Sunday morning, but there will be two microphones on both sides of our, our platform or down off of our platform next Sunday morning. And there will be seven or eight of you who have been asked to share in that service and it will appear to be spontaneous it'll be a bit of planned spontaneity but you will come um, during your allotted time as we as we weave that through our service of thanksgiving and of worship uh, and just give thanks to the Lord it's it's a highlight of our year it's a it's a special day in the midst of our fellowship and it's a wonderful day to invite people to come in and be a part of us and if you've been thinking about that I would encourage you to Think of somebody you might invite and then to have you stay and them stay afterwards for our fellowship meal in the fellowship hall. We'll gather together there in that setting. So we hope you'll do that. The next week then will be Thanksgiving weekend itself and uh, we will be away that weekend. Pastor Dan is going to be speaking on that particular Sunday here in this pulpit. And then the next four weeks are Advent and we will take a bit of a uh, of a a pause in our series and, and treat Advent in a different theme for those four weeks. And then co- actually come back to this particular series on January 6th. So that's where we're headed in this series. But this morning, we're going to wrap up part one. Part one of this four parts, of and this one is guarding the truth. And I'd like for you to look at the text this morning, and we're just going to break down this text as we come to the end of this particular part. We find it in 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 8. We just want to look at that this morning in this context. And in the heart of that, if you're going to put kind of a a, a label over the top of that and everything else fits into it, it is the admonition of Paul in verse 2 to Timothy where he says, preach the word. Preach the word. It is a strong uh, charge. In fact, he says, he uses the words, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearance and his kingdom. He just, he takes time to to build in the weightiness of this particular charge. I charge you to realize you are in the presence of God today, as, as I come to preach to you the realization that we are in the presence of God. He is risen, Christ, and Christ, He is risen from the dead. He wanted to put a strong, statement before Timothy who had a tendency to be timid. We've heard about that timidity of Timothy and he was saying Timothy preach the word, preach the truth. It is critically important and it continues to be critically important, not just in Timothy's age but today. It was important in the in the era of the reformation. It, the, the the temptation always of the truth is for it to get lost. Um, it, it was lost, and some of you are studying in Pastor Dave—or not Pastor Dave's—in Dave's class uh, about the Reformation, or not the not the Reformation, but about church history, which involves the Re- Reformation. And uh, the Reformation was about the, the gospel getting lost, and and God bringing the church back to the gospel, back to the truth, back to the deposit. But the truth of the matter is that temptation and that tendency can happen again and again and again. The church needs to be continually reformed in the sense that that it is the natural bent for it to drift unless the admonition is is heeded to preach the Word, to keep it central, to, to guard the truth, to guard the deposit. It won't happen unless it intentionally is done. And so we're about reminding ourselves That this is a weighty task. It is no small thing. It is no small problem. Uh, Christianity, you understand that, is about a deposit that we said was entrusted to us. It wasn't made up. It isn't to be added to or subtracted from. It is a deposit. It It is a revelation that's been given to us. It is about a truth outside of us. Uh, we don't we don't decide what that truth is as we hear it, but it has been given it has come from outside It has to be protected it has to be guarded this day and age when we want to make truth in our own understanding it, it has to be guarded. It's it's not a truth for that It is truth and so I say that that we need to be careful to hear it And there's a couple of ways that he says here in this text that that will happen Uh, He says that it it will happen and it will demand perseverance. Look at what he says in verse 2. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. I mean, those are strong words again. You just have to continually be about it. You have to continually realize you need to keep teaching the truth. Um, I realize that in in the thirty some years of ministry that that I, I'm not I'm not um, naive enough to think that everything I say on Sunday morning you go home and and you spend all week just amplifying that. I hope you do talk about it. I hope it is a part of your life. But but I've realized over thirty some years of ministry that that much of of teaching and much of preserving this deposit is perseverance and is in some sense repetition. Not saying the exact same words every week, but finding different ways to say things so that, that you reinforce the same truth. You reinforce the deposit by coming from different directions. Not changing it, but by shining light on it different ways and letting people see it. It, it takes perseverance. It takes it takes line upon line and precept upon precept, and getting it fully into the lives of those who are then to take it to the next generation, and that's how it's passed on. And these are strong words. It says to do it: reprove, rebuke, exhort, but do it with patience. With patient teaching, patient teaching is the means. Um, now, the second thing that, uh, or the, the the other thing now that I want to talk about this morning is is how that happens. The two reasons that Paul gives for why it must happen and why we must see it as weighty. It's a strong charge. We must see it as demanding perseverance. That's what Paul says. Preach the word. It's a weighty charge. Do it with perseverance. Now, why? What, what are the reasons for that beyond what we've talked about? What does he give us in this text for the reasons for those kinds of things? Uh, he says two different things in this text. He, he builds it upon two different arguments, really, if you will, in this text. The first argument is in the second paragraph that we read this morning in your Bibles, the second paragraph of the text we read. And, and I would put over the, the top of this argument that Paul makes is, it's worth the battle. It's worth it's worth persevering in. It's worth the hard work of of making sure that we we help people to understand it week after week and month after month and year after year that we just work hard at it, that we do it with intentionality. It's worth it. Paul says in verse eight here of this text uh, let, let's actually read the whole thing, beginning at verse six. It says For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. One of the things that Paul says here is that it is it is worth the effort and we'll talk in a minute that part of the worth of that is that that we help people to see and and the fruit of that and that joy but he's here talking about the crown that will be given to those who faithfully do this the crown that will be given to him that he faithfully took the deposit and and what was trusted to him and he He faithfully, with perseverance, with diligence, with intentionality, passed it on to Timothy. He says there, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Now what does he mean by that, crown of righteousness? If you were in my Sunday School class this morning, we made the statement and talked about it at length that righteousness can have different meanings in Scripture, Righteous can mean um, imputed righteousness, which is the alien righteousness of Christ that He accomplished on the cross. His perfect righteousness that that He accomplished by living without sin and dying without sin. And He's willing to impute that righteousness. So it's, it can have the idea of perfection righteousness. His perfection. We also said that righteousness can have to do with With an imparted righteousness if you remember the illustration last week of the of the handkerchief That's the imputed righteousness his righteousness alien to us outside of us He gives us he dresses us in his righteousness, but there's also imparted righteousness The Holy Spirit comes into the life of a believer and righteousness can mean imparted righteousness it's 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 given It's begin to be produced in the believer by God now the difference between this righteousness and this righteousness, you must see the difference in definition and and extent. The extent of this, it's perfect. When you hear the word righteous, in some senses, it means perfection. It means absolute. And when it talks about imputed righteousness, it's talking about the absolute perfection that God, through Christ, gave to us. Sometimes righteous has to do with a process that's happening. It's not absolute in the sense that it's fully accomplished, fully done, but it's in process, it's imparted. That's that's another kind of righteousness. And then then actually there's another degree of which righteousness can be defined in Scripture, and that is absolute, perfect righteousness as regards to us, which is at glorification. We shall be like Him absolutely at at one point in the sense of righteousness. When we're glorified, we are actually made righteous. When we enter heaven, we are made righteous. We don't just have an alien righteousness given to us or we don't just have a bit of progress in righteousness. At that point, we will actually be made righteous. That's what glorification is. And, and enter into His presence. What will allow us to get to that point will be the imputed righteousness of Christ, but we will one day be made righteous. So it can have three different meanings. It can it can have three different ways that you define it when you read it. So you have to look at the context of it. Now, what we talked about this morning was, if you go back up into chapter 3, this crown of righteousness that he's talking about here, I think can mean one of two things. It It can mean... An actual progress in righteousness that has happened and imparted righteousness in Paul here. If you look up in chapter 3, it's this kind of righteousness, this definition of righteousness in verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Which one does that mean? Imputed? Glorified righteousness? Righteousness? or imparted righteousness. I I think it means imparted. It is, it is that Holy Spirit work in us where we actually begin to make progress in righteousness. Is it absolute? No. Can we ever take this and throw it off and say this is good enough? No. You would be absolutely foolish to do that. You couldn't do that. You can't do that and expect to ever get to the point of Actual righteousness. You will not enter heaven if you don't do it on the basis of the imputed, perfect righteousness of Christ. But there is talk in Scripture where it says we actually begin to make progress in righteousness. It's his work in us. It's him working in us. Him working to will and to do according to our good pleasure. But he does do that. That's why I said, if you remember last week when I walked down to this end of the platform, and said there's a quantifiable difference between a believer and an unbeliever. What is it? The Holy Spirit in them and progress in righteousness, that definition of righteousness. So that could be one thing he means when he says here in this text, he says, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. He, because in that regard, now that could. Now, the other thing that it could mean is, I think, glorified righteousness. The crown of righteousness, that that point at which we do become like Him absolutely, and we become actually righteous as we are glorified. Where do I get that text? Turn turn with me to uh, uh, Hebrews chapter twelve and verse twenty three to to find reference to that. Let me just make reference so you understand what I'm talking about here, and then. We'll go on from here, but the, it could mean this righteousness, either the either one I just previously talked about, imparted righteousness or or ultimately glorified righteousness. This is this is the text that that talks about that, that third dimension of actually being being righteous. In verse 23, uh, I'll pick it up in 22, it says, but you have come. To Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to talk about heaven here, you see, and to the spirits of the what? The righteous made perfect. The, The righteous by view of imputed righteousness. Yes, but also the righteous because if it's been imputed it's also been imparted there's a progress toward righteousness but but here it says that righteousness has been what made perfect you see heaven glorification so when you look at the word righteous in the bible you got to determine which which definition it is the problem with the word is that righteous seems to we seem to want to jump to the absolute and say absolute. But there is a place in which there's righteous can mean not yet done, not yet finished, imparted righteous. But it, anyway, this text here in chapter um, 4 where he says the crown of righteousness is what he's talking about. And the thing to keep this in mind, the thing that you must keep in mind, even in those definitions, whether it's the imparted righteousness here or the... Absolute crown of righteousness, of actual being made righteous, it, it all, it all is in the confidence. None of that can be devoid. None of that will even happen except in light of the imputed righteousness. You see, you never, you never get away from imputed righteousness. The reason that any kind of impartation can happen, the reason ultimately that perfection will come at glorification is always in the context of the imputed righteousness of Christ. In the gospel. This morning my Sunday school class I try another way. When I say you shine the light a different way. You shine it You again to shine the light to try to s- help us to see why we need the gospel always. Why the gospel is for believers because if you have any hope of of any kind of progress in righteousness or hope of ultimately becoming righteous at glorification it all rests it all hangs it all hinges on the imputed righteousness of Christ what he accomplished outside of us and you if you don't have that if you don't start there and if you don't stay there you get into all kinds of trouble theologically and that's how the church gets off track it starts, to, it starts to throw that away. It starts to throw it off and rest in this and think it's better than it is. And, and the truth of the matter is when you throw that off, when you forget about this imputed righteousness, when that isn't where your focus is at, you don't even you don't progress. The, the means by pro, to progress in righteousness, the, the, the means by which we grow in godliness is always by looking To what God has done. To looking to what He's done for us in Christ. So here in this text, He says, The crown of righteousness. He says it's worth the battle. It's worth the reward. There's a reward coming. There's a reward for those who will be faithful. It's coming. The crown of righteousness is coming. And then He goes on to say, And tell us um, what that righteousness looks like. I mean, what, what does that righteousness even that we've talked about here that that actual righteousness look like it's interesting how he puts it look look at the thing it says henceforth there's laid for us for me the crown of righteousness which the lord the righteous judge will award to me on the day and not only to me but also to all who have loved his appearing now now this is this is a, a part of that argument it's worth the battle it's worth the battle because there's a crown of righteousness for Paul, all of his effort, all of his diligence, all of his sacrifice, all of his all of that, there's a reward. There's a reward in that, but an even greater reason, a greater reason that it's worth it is because it, it is about us seeing the glory of God and others seeing the glory of God. That's what he's saying here in this text. Um, who will get that? Who will receive that crown of righteousness? It's tied in this text to all who love His appearing. Can't that also be said? All who treasure Him and, and treasure seeing their treasure. You see those words? Love His appearing. Um, the, 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 the worth it part is that we, we see more of Him. As, as we preach the Word, as we are diligent, intentional, we, we do it by focusing where we need to focus. We focus on Christ. We focus on the gospel. We see more of that and it causes us to love His appearing, causes us to hope in His appearing, causes us to treasure His appearing. but it also then causes others, what part of what we declare, preaching the Word, preaching the, the entrusted Word faithfully, and getting it right, we see it and others see it. It's, it's worth it. It's the right way. It's the method by which God accomplishes it. Loving His appearing. That's what it's about. That's why we preach the truth. That's why we do it. That's why we keep it centered where it needs to center. Because if you don't, if you don't, if you get it wrong, if we get it wrong, it it is, it is messed up Christianity. In fact, you can't even use the label Christianity sometimes. It gets so messed up. You see, it's all about... It's all about helping us and others to love His appearing. But unless He is clearly seen, they won't. They'll love something else. They'll get diverted to something else. They'll get off into some kind of self righteous Jargon and whatever it creates. It is so important that we keep it clear because it's, it's worth it. It's worth it to us. It causes us to love and treasure. But it's worth it because others as well. will see it. Paul's talking about that. He's, he's emphasizing. That's one of his arguments in this. It's worth it. It's worth the battle. It's worth the sacrifice. It's worth everything we do to do it and and if it's done right it's hard work it's it's hard work to teach to teach consistently to teach diligently to the church the church has to work at it hard in every arena to keep it as it should be and then the second argument is this there's a time coming when people won't endure it there's a time coming when they'll have an itch that they want you to scratch. And if you don't scratch it, you'll be in trouble. That's, that's what the text says. Look what it says. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth wander off into myth it's interesting how he puts that he, he, he doesn't say they will, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own teaching but their own passions it, it's, it's about passions, it's about the heart the reason they won't listen is because their heart isn't there the reason they won't listen is because their heart wants something else. It's, it's at the heart level that much of the rejection of Christianity happens. Now, now I believe with all of my heart that we need to be clear. We need to be precise. We need to think hard as we preach and as we listen and all of that. I don't minimize it. Don't minimize thinking. Thinking is incredibly important in Christianity. But, to be honest with you, rejection goes deeper than that. Rejection goes to the heart. And much of the reason people don't want to endure sound teaching is it does not scratch where they itch. And again, how dependent we are on the Spirit of God to change that, to change the heart so that they listen. It's incredibly important that the hearts of people get changed. That the Spirit of the Holy Spirit comes as we preach the truth, as we preach the Word, that the Holy Spirit comes to the hearts of the people and makes them want to receive the truth. Now, it's mystery, isn't it? How will they know unless we tell them? That's what Scripture says. How will they know? How will they hear? Unless we clearly tell them. They won't. If you don't clearly tell them, that's the means by which it happens. And yet, just clearly telling them isn't enough. Because their hearts don't itch there. And God has to give them hearts that itch in the right place to receive the truth. Does that make sense? It's a heart issue. It's not just saying it right, which is incredibly important but do you see the necessity of prayer? Do you see the necessity of us praying that our hearts itch for the right thing? Itch for sound teaching? That that what what when we scratch it's received because it's 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 wanting sound teaching. That's the inference of that text. It's about passions. It's about passions. When you resist the truth, when you resist some truth of Scripture, it, it's not intellectual. Only it, it it has to do with your heart. It has to do with your heart. Now the application of all this. Let's talk about application for a minute. How does that apply? It certainly applies to me. I could I could I could preach a message to me. In fact, as I read this, I preached a message to myself. But. How does it apply to congregations? I think it does apply to congregations. I think that's why he put in there the whole idea of the itch and the scratch and the passions. So how do we, how do we take that message as we're sitting in pews, as I'm sitting and listening to others? How do I take it? How do you take it? How do we receive sound teaching? I think, I think first of all, we, we listen well. We listen well. Be good listeners. Be be engaged listeners. Um, be careful listeners. Don't be critical listeners, but but listen well. We've already talked about that. And and listen. I think it's important to listen at the heart level. When when we begin to resist something, maybe we're resisting it because maybe we're resisting it because it's wrong teaching. That that can happen. We're, we're not. None of us are without air, None of us have the Without the potential of saying it wrong or or something. Or maybe we're just not hearing it right. Maybe you know, sometimes somebody can say it and we hear it just by definitions. Even that it, it little exercise we had about how you define righteousness. I mean, maybe we just don't have all the facts. And that's that's possible. Maybe we're defining terms and, and just need to get some things defined. We just need to sit down and actually get precise about what's being said. And, and then understanding will come. But, but also it could be that why we're resisting and why we're having trouble is because of our hearts i just don't want to hear this i don't want to hear this what's going on in my heart what's going on at that level when when truth comes and preaching comes is there something in my heart that just you know maybe it's a bias maybe it's maybe i'm reacting to something in my past and overreacting, you know, we can all do that, can't we? We we react to something, and so there's a resistance at the heart level. What's going on in my heart? Lord, work in my heart, change my heart, give me passions in my heart. Work there. Um, the second thing I think, as far as application, I would say today is, is you as a congregation. You who who will continue on, Lord willing, in this congregation after some of us are gone. Keep preaching central. Keep it central. Preach the Word. Now, there may be different methods and different ways that people do it. I'm not saying keeping the, the method always exactly the same. But make sure you keep Preaching central. It's incredibly important. We live in a day and age that is so moved by feelings, is so moved by sensationalism, those kinds of things. We be careful. Doesn't mean it should be, but should be dry. It should be boring. You should have be a drudgery to listen to. There's ways to different ways to do things, but don't let it go away. Preaching needs to be central in the church. Teaching needs to be central in the church. And the degree to which it is not valued, we're on a dangerous course. We we need to keep it central, and and we need to understand what it is. Um, there's a sense in which preaching, and and this is to my for my benefit, but for you too to listen when you're listening to somebody preaching is about is really about heralding something Te- preaching is different than teaching to some degree teaching preaching teaching go together but there is a sense in which preaching the word is about heralding the word it's a bit like the crier before you know before all of the modern convenience of internet and all that kind of stuff who came into the into the town and said hear ye hear ye the king has come there's a there's a heralding aspect about preaching of heralding something and we're heralding good news and don't ever let preaching not have that at its center preaching is about preaching a message a message that has come, a message that has been entrusted to us to Harold. Listen for that. don't 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 settle for less than that in preaching. now, let me let me close with this. this this is again another reason why it's important, and it's right in the text. We didn't read it this morning, but why, why is it important that we guard the deposit entrusted to us? It's a, because it's about people. It's about people seeing. I, I, just, I just drifted down to this in my study this week and thought it would be a good place to land. Look at the next section there. It, it, there's a bunch of names that are talked about. Personal Instructions. Paul's giving. But look at the names that pop out. It says in verse 9, Do your best to come to me soon. And Paul's speaking to Timothy. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. It's important because of people like Demas. It appears that Demas was with Paul and now he wasn't with Paul. He had walked away from the faith. He had walked away from the truth. The the, the qualifier is in love with his present world. Demas. It also talks about Titus there. Look at that. In verse six. Cons, uh, it says Titus to Dalmatia. You see that? In verse actually verse in verse 10. Titus to Demolition. Well, we know that Titus wrote the next book. Titus was faithful. Paul thought much of Titus. He gave instruction to Titus about the church. So there's Demas, who was everybody thought was in and now appears to be out. And Titus, who's been steady. And then there's another one there. It's Mark, verse 11 get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me for ministry. You remember about Mark? Mark was with Paul. Mark drew back. Paul didn't take Mark with him. Barnabas took Mark, but Paul didn't. Paul didn't go with with uh, with Mark. He let Barnabas take him for a while. Paul saw in Mark some stuff that was troubling to him. So so you got three different people here. You've got you got Titus who was all the way through appears you've got Mark who started out drew back and now is beneficial in other words he's persevering in the end and then you have Titus who everybody thought was persevering and it appears from this text although we don't know that that maybe he didn't persevere that's why it's so important It's part of why it's so important because that, those are the three camps aren't they they are people walking consistently people who stumble a bit but, but catch themselves God catches them they continue on and then there's that third group that just sends chills down my spine people like Demas And our responsibility, the weight of our responsibility, I think, preach the Word. Preach Christ. Lift Him up. Magnify Him so people will see, will see, truly see, and persevere to the end in faith. Let's stand together and sing. Father, I pray that you will help us to faithfully herald this news. Clearly, precisely, not added to or subtracted from, so that people might see the good of the good news and it will cause them to love your appearing it will cause them to treasure you and to treasure getting to see their treasure one day god help us to be faithful faithful as a church and all the people said